pipeline because the things that cause this climate change, greenhouse gases, are coming mainly from fossil fuel burning. And the power plants and the vehicles on the road, we're not going to, even as we understand that there is a problem, we're not going to take those down immediately. So, uh, and if we look at the history of the Earth, in the last million years, the most that it has been warmer than it is today is about one degree Celsius. And basically, it's been roughly the same planet. I mean, except, I mean, the climate changes even within that million years are significant. Um, the ice ages were five degrees colder, but the warmest interglacials were only about one degree warmer. But if we go to two or three degrees warmer, then we're back approaching the middle Pliocene three million years ago. That was a different planet. There's no ice in the Arctic in the warm seasons. Uh, sea level then was at least 15 meters higher, probably about 25 meters higher, which is 80 feet. And it, that sea level change is not going to occur immediately. There's an argument as to whether it'll take several decades or a few, few centuries. But it's going to start uh, within a few decades if we don't get off the path that we're on. So the, so the point is, uh, if you want to keep the warming less than one degree Celsius or two degrees Fahrenheit, we would have to reduce the emissions of carbon dioxide by a few tens of percent by the middle of the century, and we would have to stabilize carbon dioxide by the end of the century. So there's just there's some practical uh, facts of life which have not been communicated very well to the public and policymakers, I think. One of those facts of life is that about a quarter of the carbon dioxide that we put in the atmosphere stays there forever. And by forever, I mean more than 500 years, so many generations that it's practically forever. That, and, and that means that there's a cap on how much carbon dioxide we can put in the atmosphere. We, we can, burn fossil fuels if we capture the carbon dioxide and, and store it someplace. But we cannot afford to let atmospheric CO2 to go beyond something like 450 parts per million. And it's already increased from 280 to 380. So we're going to keep it within a range that would keep the climate within the range of the last million years. We've got to start phasing down before the middle of the century and, have a, and stabilize by the end of the century. And if we go just business as usual for another 10 years, we'll be 35% above the emission level of 2000, and it will be impractical to get on this uh, path and keep warming in the range that it's been in in the last million years. Other uh, other panelists, can I can I ask you to jump in? Ten years is that a? I mean, I, I actually would like to say that Dr. Hanson, I think you said that to me two years ago. So we're down to eight years here, which is a, a pretty frightening prospect. Look, one of the um, realities is for all of us is the more you know, the worse it is. I mean, that's a, that's a, um, that's a reality in which we all live. You know, I, I look at it from a public policy perspective, which is what you know, we live with day in and day out, and you can't talk to a public about a problem that's enormous, uh, and they so just can't, I don't think, can really absorb it. You've got to get yourself on a path of solutions. And as Jim says, I think everybody who's into this understands that that path of solutions has to be a very, very steady downturn over a period of time.
the longer you wait to start, the harder it is at the end of that period of time. I mean, if we wait for another 10 years, then you've got to drop these emissions much more dramatically, and it's harder and harder and harder to do. So to begin now, and begin now with clear and effective action and clear and effective understanding for the impacted industries and for the public so that they can see the solutions that they're involved with, then you have a chance, I think, of still doing this politically. The longer we wait, the tougher it is to be able to absorb it, to understand it, to see that it's possible, and to get to the kind of reductions, which are very dramatic, which Jim describes, you know, I think, very accurately. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is for us to have a clear, objective understanding of the problem, an understanding that, 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 that's basically been gleaned by scientists and engineers who have worked on this problem for 30 years at least now. Um, one of the things that it would be nice if we could do is to relive history in a different way. I think it's very difficult to overestimate, and this is going to be partisan, but I, I, I have to say it, um, the damage that was done by Ronald Reagan um, when he took office and symbolically ripped the solar collectors that Carter had put on the roof of the White House off, at the same time dismembering uh, the beginning of a research and development and implementation program in alternative energy. I mean, Jimmy Carter, I think, was, may have been the last president who really understood the importance of energy and was able to do something about it politically. That was 30 years ago. We were on a path at that point, or that one might call energy independence, but it was basically a path that could have led us to a fundamental and radical change in our energy system. That's what we have to do. Now, whether we have only 10 years to do it, we have probably minus 10 years to get started doing it. But that doesn't mean that we should despair, in my opinion, because what's at stake is the survival of our high technology civilization. We have a job to do, which is to, to reduce the emissions of carbon dioxide, to keep them constant and essentially phase them out 50 years from now. At the same time, when every country in the world is committed to GDP growth of about three, two to three percent a year. So you have two curves going in the opposite direction. Economic growth is taking you in one direction, and energy consumption is going along with that to some extent. And the question is whether it's technologically possible to do that. And uh, I think that should be the focus of our national policy on energy, to determine what technologies exist or could exist to implement a sustainable world that would for the, for the rest of the century. I'm trying to think, what is the question whose answer is 10 years? And um, I guess I would answer, I would answer my, that question by saying, by what point do we have to be in a, in a, in a society worldwide where virtually every decision is made with carbon dioxide concerns and, and climate concerns at the front of people's minds, businessmen, consumers. So we're talking about a ramp starting now that leads to a, a frame of mind that is just about universal in about 10 years. And in that time period that has to be structured politically this year, or 2007 and 8, the Europeans are 
looking at that. The phrase is the post-2012 framework because the Kyoto Convention that we didn't sign is over in 2012. And so the discussion is now one that we are, could be if we wished, equal partners in having pushed, just putting Kyoto aside, what is the post-2012 framework? Within that, we need policy, we need consumer awareness and behavior change. We're talking about post-industrial consumption. I mean, I want to—we are the problem, not just the, we are the solution, but we are also the problem. More than more than 60 percent of electricity is consumed in buildings. More than 60 percent of oil is used in ground in ground and air transport. It is what we do as consumers. Our high material life. We can solve a lot of it with efficiency. We can change the power plants, but we've got an overall. We're getting a message that is long in coming. The environmental analysis in the early 70s said it would come, and we, tr we shot the messenger, but that we are living on a small planet, and we are, we are exuberant in our, in our, in our views of what, what is a good life, and we're overwhelming the place. And that's not going to be easy as a, frame, as a changing frame of reference. But I would say we've got 10 years to get from here to a state of widespread awareness and action. Yeah, there's one clarification I'd like to make. You know, we, somehow we always end up leaving the impression that the things that need to be done require a state of deprivation. While I think it's quite the contrary. What, you know, there's such a tremendous potential in energy efficiency, which is presently untapped. We know that vehicles could be 30 to 50 percent more efficient. We know that the the buildings people tell us that it's straightforward for new construction and buildings to make houses and buildings.